any solution that's going to be improving science reproducibility is going to increase administrative burden anyway, just because it's a shift from the status quo. So I think the real question is, how much burden are we willing to take to improve science? Like, if these, if this, if this red tape actually improves science, shouldn't we be doing it? Hello and welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo and I'm here with James Heathers from Northeastern University. Happy New Year, James. How are you happy, going? Yeah, happy year. Great. Same yeah. shit, different number after it. Yeah. He said morosely. How are you, Daniel? <laughs> yeah, uh, crazy day today. It's, it's funny, we, we often, um, when we hear stories of, um, of London getting shut down from 10 centimetres of snow... And uh, we over here in Norway have a good laugh, but um, we're actually the, the shoes on the other foot now, and um, we're the people who have got uh, shut down here, here here around Oslo. Just a crazy amounts of snow, cars getting stuck. It's uh, it's pretty pretty mental. Good job. How much is a crazy amount of snow in Norwegian terms? Uh yeah, I had to dig myself out of the house, um, up to up to my waist, <laughs> pretty much. Um, and yeah, a few cars were giving it a good go. Um, so I, I just uh, let a few cars go past, um, <laughs> clear the way a bit, and yeah. Don't didn't, you didn't... don't you walk to work? Yeah, I do occasionally, but uh, c- considering my my Maria is due in in about three weeks' time, I can't really have her walking through a uh, uh, waist deep snow. So I'd, we drive. Don't together you to want the... to have a tough baby? A tough baby. <laughs> Well, it's, it's incredible. Uh, one of the first things I noticed moving here is people taking their kids out, um, out for walks in the pram when it's like minus five. What's um, wrong with that? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, if, you, if you were doing that in Australia, you'd have the uh, the child services getting called on your kid. Well, Whereas it also if... wouldn't be minus five. You'd have the opposite problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, uh, yeah, um, absolutely. Um... Although, yeah, the, the authorities might step in at some point. I, I As think well, so. I mean, let's let's be honest. Australia is a racist country, and you look foreign. So if you're walking around <laughs> with a baby that's whiter than yours, uh, some kindly passing gentleman will assume that you stole it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you Different, go. It's two two minutes in, and we've already got into casual racism. Getting into getting into racism, but uh, spe- speaking of <laughs> spe- speaking of Always racism, say that with such a disapproving tone. But speaking of racism, I think there's there's been quite a lot of talk about this locally locally in Norway with uh with President Trump welcoming Nor- Norwegians with uh, with open arms. Oh yes, I'm sure everyone in Norway is extremely keen to come to the United States because Norway basically is a failed state. I yeah, mean, yeah, it's a it's a petro state. Yeah, your 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 complete absence of social safety nets and uh, all those <laughs> surveys that say you are the happiest people in the world, cold nipples notwithstanding. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's everyone's lining up to come over and work in a Denny's. Yeah, and, and I, I saw he, he um or one of his one of his staffers tried to uh, backtrack it, going, "Well, no, he, he didn't mean that he wanted white people or the possibly the whitest country in the world." It's that um, after meeting with the Norwegian Prime Minister, he was impressed by the strong work ethic of the Norwegians. He's <laughs> and then obviously saw... never been to Poland. Well, I, I, and I saw a graphic of um, of the, the amount of hours the average person works per country. Uh, the US actually sits quite in the middle. 
um, Norway was at the bottom. Um, and at the top was the uh, your southern neighbors, the Mexicans. So of, of all the people, if he, if he wants people that work hard when it, when it comes to hours per week, he just has to look no further than uh, than across the uh, the border or the wall. Uh, yes, yes, the 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 wall to 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 keep everyone out. Yeah, it's a very yeah. sort of. I mean, Hadrian tried that and it didn't work. <laughs> I. I I'm not quite sure. Anyway, look, we, we, the, the geo, geopolitics aside, what are we going to talk about science? We are going to talk about science today. There was... Good um, God, man. Are we really? Let's, let, let's do it. And I, I think uh, it's quite... Uh, January uh, 2018 is, is quite an auspicious month, uh, for, particularly for American researchers, because uh, on, on the 25th of January, all of a sudden... A lot of basic researchers are, are going to become a clinical trial researchers. Have you seen this, James? Yes, I have. And as someone who works in America, who does... Well, I don't like... I, I think of basic research as being research on basic mechanisms, but um, we'll, we'll let that slide for now. Uh, what's, what's happening... What you're referring to is the fact that the NIH is changing their definition of a clinical trial to a larger umbrella that includes a lot of other research. And I mean a lot of other research, right? Mm. So because obviously we were talking about this earlier, we don't do these things sight unseen or I'd be even more rude and scattergun <laughs> than usual, that would be bad and potentially illegal. So I have the NIH website open because this is the kind of exciting shit we do here. I have, I have the NIH website open. On, on, uh, on your favorites tab? Yes, of course. The, um, the, I, specifically on the policy and compliance tab, the NIH's uh, definition of a clinical trial. And, and for those listeners outside the US, the NIH is the uh, National Institutes of Health. Hmm. Yeah, but or, uh, go, or, go on, James. Occasionally, occasionally, if we're being uncharitable, not interested in helping. <laughs> All right, so pre previously, what was a clinical trial by what I'd call any previous reasonable definition, for Christ's sake? Um, I, I don't remember the, the exact term, but basically how people saw it was um, you were testing the both the, the safety or the efficacy of a new intervention or a device. Right. Um, so typically... some form of clinical intervention. Mm. Right. With a fairly broad definition of clinical, but something that is designed to immediately treat people, probably some kind of primary care aspect to it, um, more the medical end of the research spectrum than anything else reasonable sure. yeah okay I, I, it could also include your more phase one stuff where you're purely looking at safety not necessarily whether there's any uh, efficacy oh, yeah. for a treatment yeah, yeah, but, yeah, uh, but yeah, anyway yeah. you're looking does, at these things yeah. does this work will it kill all of my volunteer participants that kind of thing yeah safety so the the worm has turned in clinical trial land and now I'm going, to, I'm going to read this out because it's so incredibly interesting. Use the following four questions. Is that a good radio voice? Use the following four questions to determine the difference between a clinical study and a clinical trial. How is that? 
I think that's perfect. Let, oh, let, let's, let's do let's let's do one of your um your old studies, James. Let, let's go through some of your studies and Ooh. let's determine whether your old stuff um would actually fall under this new rubric of, of um of clinical trials. What, what do you reckon? Ooh. Well, does the study involve human participants? Uh, yeah. Yes, sometimes in a secondary sense, as in someone else poked them with a spoon and then got data from them. Or, but a lot of them obviously were people that I studied myself. So yes, yeah. question one, does the study involve human participants? Yes. Are the participants prospectively assigned to an intervention? Now, what do we define as an intervention? Well, this is where it gets a bit tricky in that uh, there's a few caveats to this. Well, g- Generally speaking, intervention is you did anything to them. It right. could be... A manipulation yeah. of the subject or subject's environment for the purpose of modifying one or more health-related biomedical or behavioral processes or endpoints. Except what is exempt from this is uh, within subject manipulations. For example, and one of the specific examples they use is uh, postural blood pressure. So if you were doing a sitting, standing blood pressure thing, technically that wouldn't actually be defined as um as a intervention oh that's really strange okay so super strange we could fill everyone what you're saying is we could fill everyone full of drugs and then (laughs) test the if everyone got the same drugs and we had different within subject comparisons like say we altered the speed of someone being tilted from lying down flat to something like standing up very common sort of vascular manipulation Mm. But if we tested different speeds of the tilting, yeah, rapid yeah. versus slow transit, or whatever it is, then that might conceivably not be a clinical trial. All right, so question two, we're, we're going to go through these. Are participants prospectively assigned to an intervention? Well, if there's different groups that have different assignations, I suppose, yes. Mm. Is the study designed to evaluate the effect of the intervention on participants? That's a pretty stupid question. No, the study is not designed to evaluate the effect of an intervention. I mean, what the hell kind of answer is that? All right, never mind. So yes, obviously it is. We have interventions because we think they'll do something, not because we got them free in a packet of crisps. (laughs) Number four. No, 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 here comes another caveat. There's another caveat for this is that um, reliability studies um, are exempt as well. So say you're... Um, uh, okay. So, so you, you're doing your, um, uh, for, for instance, your smartphone pulse variability stuff where you were comparing right. that against ECG. Yes. Um, that, that is a very clear biomedical behavioral outcome, but validity or reliability studies, bam, exempt. Okay. I don't know why they chose that, but uh, it's, it's exempt. Right. The thing is, though... I think that seems a little strange if you're evaluating a clinical device or the efficacy of a device to work within a clinical context, potentially. Mm. Yeah, anyway. so that, 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 and that's, that's the whole problem. These things aren't entirely clear. All right, wait on, wait on, wait on. We haven't done all the questions yet. Here we go. Okay. Number four. Is the effect being evaluated a health-related biomedical or behavioral outcome? Now, health-related. A health-related... Reflect on the... Examples include positive or negative changes to physiological or biological parameters. Well, that's all of my shit. That's, that's, That's everything. Right, so what you're... what Basically, what what this adds up to is a lot of the research that I've done 
previously and a lot of the research that you've done previously and probably a lot of people who are listening to this we have all suddenly become clinical trial researchers maybe in part maybe in full but to some degree we are now clinical trial researchers what fucking fun <laughs> your study meets the definition of an clinical trial even if you're studying healthy participants your study does not have a comparison group your study is only designed to assess pharmacokinetic safety etc your study is utilizing a behavioral intervention so if we were doing a experiment as what one of these social psychology things like mm. someone walks down a corridor slowly if they've been primed with old ah. people words <laughs> yeah right well, so it, it doesn't count if the if the um if the manipulation is 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 bollocks <laughs> oh oh okay that's, that's yeah I'll, I'll definitely put that when the university asks me uh uh, are you doing a clinical trial? I can write back, no, my manipulation is shit, so I'm yeah. not. <laughs> it's priming. It's fine. Yes. Hur- oh, hooray. Um, no, here we are. Look, are you st- does this study involve human participants? Yes. Are they prospectively assigned to an intervention? Yes, they are. Is it designed to evaluate the effect of the intervention on the participants? Yes, because of the slow walkie old effect, which is what I'll now be calling it. Uh, is the effect being evaluated a behavioral outcome? Yes, it's a slow, slow walkie old effect. Um, if the answers to all these four questions are yes, your study meets the NIH definition of a clinical trial. Ta-da! So now, you, you think, uh, so a priming study could conceivably be included under the rubric of clinical trials now. For sure. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what it seems like. Right. So, I mean, we haven't really unpacked those words yet. Um is do, do you what what do you have to do then to run a clinic? You've you've done more of them than me. I <laughs> I regard them the way I I regard sort of fancy sports cars in the street. And you go, oh, I I guess that's nice, but and, and good for you. <laughs> I'm I'm sure you're having fun with your life, but I I don't want one. And um, please you know don't park it in front of my building. Um, no, don't don't do them for fun. That that's for sure. Right. Look, okay. Tell us how it works. Look, the, the the thing is, when it comes to doing a, a clinical trial, at least within the, the sort of ideas that the NIH has, um, primarily the first thing that you want to make sure that you're doing is that you are uh, pre-registering your study on clinicaltrials.gov. Yeah. And so here, what you're doing is um, you're going to be reporting your estimated sample size, your hypothesis, your primary and secondary outcomes, you know, like science, really. Uh, and on top of that, then um, part of this is you have to actually report your findings of your study at least a year from when you tested your last participant. Because we all know um, a huge problem, or previously a big problem with these registered trials, was that people would register their trials. And you can even see it now from um, people who are researching from countries that aren't necessarily bound uh, by these NIH um, uh, requirements. They'll You'll have studies registered from 2007, and there's nothing. There's squat. People haven't actually said what the outcome is, but if you're doing this within the NIH or if your research is funded from the NIH, you have to report what you found, regardless of whether it was great, whether you found nothing. And um, and this, this this is a this is a good idea, and I think we need to look at the actual intentions behind this from the NIH, in that what they really want to do is to improve the uh, reproducibility and transparency of scientific research, uh, namely the research that they're funding. 
And I, I think we've spoken about this before in that um, we've discussed what is it actually going to take for people to change research practices. Um, and, and one answer to that is it will change if it's mandated to. And this is yes. a mandate. And this this is a mandate. And, um, you know, we, we have... We have journals now that are improving, individual researchers that are improving their research practices. But now we have um, probably the most influential um, uh, sort of national authority going, hey, this is the way we're changing research. And it's going to affect a lot of people. And, uh, you know, there might be a lot of smug people from Europe going, oh, you know, all these basic basic researchers are going to have to register their trials. But there's every chance that these uh, these things are going to flow on into, into different countries. So I think... We should actually be applauding the NIH in one sense about taking a big step forward to uh, to improving um, transparency and uh, and reproducibility, reproducibility in science. But I think my thing about this is is this really the best way to do it? I mean, it's it's better than the status quo, which is which is pretty horrible at the moment. Um, but is is this really the really really the best way? And I, I think the other the other requirement when it comes to clinical trials as well is um of course there's a bit more paperwork obviously um your research staff need to be trained in good clinical practice um but in reality this is about a four-hour course which a lot of people do online and a lot of big institutions tend to have these courses monthly and they just if if any new researchers are doing clinical trials they'll just shuffle them through this course but right okay yeah. yeah okay i have some i have i have some questions um i have a lot of questions um my first question is if the existing clinical trial reporting already sucks and you said oh there are there are trials registered from 2007 that never resulted in any outcomes then will this simply result in more of that what are the potential penalties for this you have to do it within a year well obviously people aren't um I suppose what you mean is for it to be published in no. other journals that are sorry, are there other academic journals that think that the write something about it within a year stipulation is a condition of publication. No, I think within the actual clinicaltrials.gov website, within every um, uh, trial um, webpage, there is actually a point where you can update the results yourself. So the idea being that irrespective that, of... Our point is that people are not updating the results. So what's if if clinic existing clinical researchers are not updating their results, what makes them think that adding all the other researchers to the same mandate is going to make them update well, their results? Because because now they're gonna they're gonna take your money away if you don't do it. Oh, they're gonna take your NIH money yeah. away. What if you don't have NIH money? Then there's no need to do it. Oh, right. Well, that's a moderate as far, loophole. Um, as, 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 far, as, as far as I know. Like for, but, for instance, if a journal adopts this, okay, anyone who's not in the US, for instance, is, is not going to have NIH funding. Uh, all right. Can I ask another question? Sure. Um, if this is the case, an awful lot of experimental research is not done analyzed hair is torn out because the answers conferred are not what the researchers were expecting and then stuck somewhere in a hypothetical filing cabinet a lot of it's not finished because people drop out or because projects are abandoned or because your focus changed from something or something else Mm -hmm. 
does that simply mean that you have to go and update the details to say, I didn't finish this because Janice can't keep her shit together? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what you do. And that's the system right. now. So pe- okay. people will say... Well, I don't trial- know that, do I? Tri- tri- they'll, they'll say typically trial abandoned. Um, we, you know, t- typically it'll be... <laughs> that, 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 they, they wanted to... Re- <laughs> I'm just thinking, what if all the reasons were honest? Trial abandoned because experimenter is a flake. <laughs> Try, <laughs> trial trial abandoned because graduate student left laboratory to play heavy metal full time. Uh, trial abandoned to my third child. For Christ's sake, Ken, I didn't want another one. <laughs> we don't all have to be your mother. Uh so the thing is, it's a, it's a level of honesty that won't come in. But basically, if something's not going to be continued, uh, you simply have to go and say that it was discontinued. Uh, that... Can you pick it up again at a later date? Do you re-resume it? I mean, funding levels sure. change all the time. Availability and stuff change all the time. Yeah, I'm not sure, actually. Um, I think you could say, um, I think there is an option for, like, testing suspended, something along those lines. Or you can literally say, like, you know, testing over um we we couldn't recruit enough people there there, there are enough people with with autism between the ages of 20 and 25 and also that want to do our research that that kind of thing yeah well that that seems like an entirely legitimate reason reason. not to do something well look recruitment problems of this happen all the time especially if you've got uh marginalized communities or people who don't generally do research It, it could be really hard to like uh free living old people the ones who haven't been herded into what's the times um you know how do you how do you recruit them oh get them on the internet with facebook ads you will not (laughs) Uh, things things like that can be very difficult um so my next question is about time how long does it take to so you said there's an initial four-hour course say we're going to do Say there's someone listening to this who is suddenly realizing oh Shits to Betsy. I am a clinical trial researcher. What do they have to do? That really depends from institution to institution. Um, oh, some just inst- give me a normative answer, you picky uh, bastard. Okay, okay. Um, look, institu- institutions will have uh, d- d- different courses. Like It'll take weeks. The, the thing is, if you're on a clinical trial, um, most institutions have a separate um, IRB for clinical trials as well. Um, so w- what's really up in the air is whether... If, if you're a basic researcher that's all of a sudden te- technically doing a clinical trial, do you have to go through your clinical trials IRB, which, let me add, is four times as long as normal IRB, Ooh. speaking from someone who's done it. Good um, point. Right. Um, or is it going to be a case of you going through your typical basic IRB? Um, no, no one knows. that There's no directive from the NIH, as far as I know. And so this is going to go from, um, um, from institution to institution. Um, okay. are... So conceivably, your normal human research ethics committee, uh, pronounced HREC, which sounds like someone with a lisp saying REC, which is often the paperwork <laughs> that they turn back. Um, you could conceivably go through them as per usual. And then the only thing would change that would change would be the way that it's registered. Yeah. And of course, and then... the reporting standards, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And re- registration itself is really straightforward. Um, it'll take you an afternoon to do it. It'll take uh, clinicaltrials.gov about a week to get back to you. 
If your reporting isn't good enough, they'll go, you are missing information X, Y, Z. Um, and then um, within a week, your um, uh, your registration will, will be up there. So, but of course, there's other things. If you're, th- it all comes down to the fact whether your institution will make you do everything as a clinical trial. If they do, then you have to get, you have to possibly get special software to actually ensure the um, the, the 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 privacy um, of the data that you're collecting from your participants. Like th- these are the things which we just don't necessarily that we, that we don't know about, and it's just going to be different from institution to institution. Okay, so basi- basically everything else that's hung off the predicate of calling something a clinical trial might change. Yes. Yeah, that's really unclear. Uh, that's yeah. super, super unhelpful. So I imagine that the kind of collective understanding of what a clinical trial is, and more importantly, how it gets funded, starts to become more important. So if I'm doing behavioral research, do I now have to apply for funding schemes that designate what I'm doing as a clinical trial? Yes, and that's that's the kicker. A lot of people are saying now that um, with well, with these new rules, as it stands with the NIH, these basic science experiments are actually going to be lumped into clinical trials. That we know for sure. Oh. And people are, people are actually worried that... Uh, so say you have um, a grant review committee and they're yeah. reviewing these trials and you have one traditional clinical trial and one basic science. They're going to read this going, <laughs> you know, the, the, the basic science is going to be rated as much much weaker in comparison to the traditional clinical trial if you're seeing it as a clinical trial. Now, the NIH has said, no, 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 this, is, this isn't going to happen, but this is going to be really hard to police in practice. Like, to, to give an example, I know oh. within, oh. within um, EU funding, there's, uh, there's a social science assessment panel and a neuroscience assessment panel. And the conventional okay. approach that everyone will tell you is that say you're running an fMRI study and you have some sort of social science component, everyone will tell you, you need to submit it to the social science panel because if you do it to the neuroscience panel, your work isn't neuroscience enough, yeah, compared to the more hard neuroscience proposals. And you'll well, get completely... neuroscience in the typical sense of, you know, actually Ac- getting the neuros yeah. out and doing things to them. Yeah. So then if you're doing this fMRI study that happens to have a social component, then yours, your, yours will be seen as more sciencey in comparison to, you know, give more someone... sciencey? <laughs> You know, you know what I mean. Oh, Compared yeah. to some okay. MTurk well, it thing, looks, it looks more like a it looks more like a sophisticated investigation because yeah. you're using a, an expensive thing to find out something computationally complex, something like yeah. that. Right. Yeah, right. So, so, so we have the same situation potentially with um with the. I actually, of all the criticisms of this, I actually think this is one of the most compelling ones of of this new uh, of this new approach that people are just going to find it much harder to get funding because they're competing. Um, all of a sudden, it's a complete. It's a completely different category. Uh yeah, I don't like that at all. So people who have NIH-funded behavioral research must be um, really unimpressed. Yeah, and there's been like petitions. There's, I mean, of course, there's been blog posts, but there's been letters to the editor. There's been petitions um, to um, to the NIH, uh, specifically outlining this. Um, as a as a as a limitation of, of this new approach, but uh, I think one of the other things that um, people are saying, um, which we've kind of touched on before, is that these new policies are, are pretty much going to cripple uh, labs due to the increased red tape. Yeah, well, um, you just you just said the red tape 
wasn't too bad. That's what I took from what you said before, having not done it myself. Um, yeah, I mean, but I, I just don't know whether I'm the best example because I've done this within Australia and it was worse, but it wasn't terrible. I've done it within Norway. It was worse, but it wasn't terrible. But I'm just not sure how it's going to be. Um, and, of course, all the people writing the opinion pieces are, are, are US researchers. But the thing is, I, I actually think that any solution that's going to be improving science reproducibility is going to increase administrative burden anyway, just because it's a shift from the status quo. So I, I think the real question is, how much burden are we willing to take to improve science? Like, if these, if this, if this red tape actually improves science, shouldn't we be doing it? Like, uh, you know, I, I think... Well, I don't think that that's not a very good question. If this red tape improved science, couldn't we be doing it? The question immediately arises, could we get the same benefits with less of a pain in the penis? Yes, and that and that's what I think is the is the key here. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 the idea behind it is really good, but is there a better way of doing it? And I think the reason the NIH is going down this pathway is they, they already have this massive infrastructure which they use for their clinical trials. So yeah. they're looking at this problem, let's improve science. And they've go, okay, we've got this system which already kind of does that. Let's just get everyone to do that, which in a, kind of makes sense. Mm. But at the same time, um, it, it, it only solves some of the problems. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, for instance, you've got uh, one of the problems that it does solve is this accountability that comes with pre-registration of these primary and, sec- and secondary outcomes. Yeah. I mean, w- one of the first things I do when I review a clinical trial is to check the paper's outcomes against its re- against its registered outcomes. And now, yeah, and now with basic science, you can actually do that. Yeah. So th- th- this is one thing that that this actual um, proposal w- will do brilliantly. Um, it's also going to increase accountability for these publishing outcomes. Um, so, I mean, looking at oxytocin, there's quite, there's quite a few trials which are registered, but uh, lo and behold, are not reported. But um, if you're actually going to... I wonder can, why. It's almost like why. oxytocin research is a big pile of shit. <laughs> that, that, that's, for a, that, that's for a different, um, <laughs> a different podcast. <laughs> is that, we're not doing a third podcast on that? Oh, yeah, no. Uh, no. No. But, uh, and I think it's, it's, it's good as well because you, you're informing the public about what's going to be done with their research money and, and who is doing the work. A lot of people are interested, particularly if themselves or friends and family um, suffer from a, from a rare illness. They want to actually know what sort of work has been doing and, um, and actually having this work registered. I mean, uh, people, critics are actually saying, no, it's going to confuse people. There's going to be too much on the clinical trials database. But I don't know. I, I, yeah, I don't buy that. There's going to be too much on a database. Yes. It's already gonna... it's already the size of a planet. I mean, add another yeah. couple of planets. Uh, you've got search terms again. This comes. This is an argument that we see everywhere now. People say, "Oh, there's there's too much information. <laughs> you can't do preprints. There'll be too much stuff polluting the literature." Yeah, no, one, no, there's, no one's there's complaining. Already, this... There's already too much literature. It's already structured badly and paywalled and 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 sold off uh, to random journals that aren't even really journals. And you 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 already have a problem with the 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 idea that this one specific thing is going to be the proverbial straw seems a bit kind of yeah you know that 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 for me is 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 a bit of a bit of a weak one, but um. You know, right. coming back, coming back to this idea of, of what this proposal will actually solve when it comes to reproducibility, 
I think one of the things that's missing from clinical trial registrations is is nuance. You know, so I mean, you, you might typically say, okay, let, we predict that uh, EPO will improve working memory capacity in depression. I think this is something that you'd, you'd be interested in. They're actually testing EPO for for depression kind of stuff. Really, really cool stuff. But anyway, why? I, it works apparently. It works. Why? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, <laughs> we can look at that later. But then, typically, I'm immediately for, suspicious. I'm writing that down. Yeah, e- EPO. They're testing it for improving cognitive function in depression and a few other illnesses. So, Jesus so we, Christ! We okay. can um and 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 they they they're hitting some record times when they're going for their weekend cycle as well. So it's a it's a, <laughs> it's, it's a double whammy. Maybe it's maybe it's good just for depressed cyclists. Yeah, wow. these guys are going. My, this is amazing. My life, my life is still a bleak grey nightmare, but I took eight minutes off. <laughs> so at least that's something to smile about. I shouldn't be trivialising these things. No. I have no idea how that's supposed to work. Um, I, I I sat through a seminar and it when I was when they were walking through it, it seemed quite plausible to me. But I'll have to have another look. Right, but okay. yeah, yeah, never. Sorry, I got sidetracked. Okay, so we have this hypothesis: EPO will improve working memory capacity in depression, right, um, sure. and then in, in quite a lot of registrations, all it'll say is is that that we predict EPO will improve working memory c- capacity. Um, okay, d- d- but, wait, 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 wait. So it doesn't it doesn't just say that. Surely it's operationalized into working memory capacity as defined by Bollocks and McCann, two thousand and twelve some... test of X Y Z. Some of them don't. It's getting better, um, but now some of them will typically say something like, "We'll me- as measured by by this task." Oh, that's yeah. that's very scientific. So you can actually find things that say we predict that drug A will help with a concept. Sometimes they say that the the bad well, registrations. That's yeah. balls. Which is the the better ones will say it'll improve working memory using this task. But okay, this the, this this is all fine. But then. What it really gets into is how the data is actually going to be analysed. Are you going to be using frequent statistics, one-tailed tests, Bayesian hypothesis tests? You know, how are you going to set your priors? What are you going to do with outliers? So, just just think about all the yeah, just just think about all the potential forking paths. What did you get for your simulation? A million paths for for heart rate variability research. Is that what you found? Oh yeah, that that old that old chestnut. Uh, Dan yeah. is referring to the time that uh, cut a, a very long story short. When you you measure heart rate over time, you split the heart rate into beat to beat intervals, and then you turn the beat to beat intervals eventually into some form of frequency analysis, and you can change the points that you measure the beats between the way that you define the peaks. Uh, the way you flatten the series over time, the way you detrend it, um, the way you interpolate the detrended line, and then literally every parameter and frequency bound of the way that you do frequency analysis. And because they're all multiplicative, uh, I wanted to see I wanted to see if I could get to a million <laughs> a million different analytical possibilities, all of which were justifiable. As in, if I picked any path from one end to the other. Uh, I could say, yeah, uh, this is perfectly justifiable. I predicted this. Yeah, and 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 what the variation and the results would be. Yeah, um, that was a very dangerous. Uh, that was a very dangerous thing. I think behavioral scientists would have 
taken that and used it as an analytical tool. <laughs> <laughs> but no, pe- people have done this. Have I shown you this thing? There's this person that um, uh, advertising a service that literally they'll go, we'll take your data, we'll analyze it three ways to the sun and we'll get you significance. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you showed me you showed me that a while back. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically it's basically a significance factory. It's a it's a P hack. Yeah, yeah, it's a, that's the ultimate. They they're basically like the the one guy on the very edge of the pier whose idea it was, who started the cargo cult, it's that guy. It's like the yeah. they're like the tribal leaders of cargo cult science. Yeah, look, if anyone knows who that company is and could pass uh, a message to to them maybe someone will know someone within that organization or the name of the organization i'd just like to, to pass on a message from people who do responsible science and the message is this go to the nearest body of water walk into it and stay there forever thank you for your time <laughs> hacks horrible horrible stuff yeah it's shit man um okay I I well I've I've done a sneaky Google while we've we've been going here um, yeah. because you were, you were started to getting into the objections to this and you say we understand why they want to do it we understand mm. the type of direction in which they want to take research in general fine what are the objections now there's one here that really worries the shit out of me that I hadn't thought of before T awards now. Can you explain that? Okay. Uh, NIH things are... NIH things have a a bunch of silly codes. And T awards are for training. T stands for training. F stands for fellowship. And for some reason, K stands for career development. (laughs) Career. I I can only assume that the work experience kid handed out the the initial things. Anyway... um, Training awards uh, are run by young people. They're applied for and won by junior researchers, right? And as far as I'm aware, junior researchers are not allowed to are not allowed to lead clinical trials. Um, there's probably others as well. Uh, maybe one of the F awards or, or something. Um, yeah, you, you, these are for people who are postdoctoral or other early career positions. Uh, if they're proposing studies that are going to become clinical trials, it wouldn't it wouldn't be allowed because you're not allowed to. You're technically at that point, you're technically considered a trainee, right? Mm, mm. Okay. If all of the definitions mutually hold through the system, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you can't propose. You can't propose a clinical trial as a trainee, as far as I'm aware. And that just seems to be reflected in the, the, the what I'm looking at here. That's that's a you, they need to clear this shit up because uh, Every, everyone's going to be doing. I don't like that because like and any reasonable expectation of the traditional form of a clinical trial is very much not occurring. But if the definitions hold between the funding scheme and the publication environment, then you are excluding people from doing their jobs. Uh, probably quite a lot of them, not just sort of, oh, if, if, if A and B and C all held true, it seems like that would kind of normally cripple them, which is bad considering the NIH is the one that gives, those, gives that money away, right? That's, that's a big concern. 
uh yeah um it 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 feels like this is try trying to sort out what is and isn't going to happen here is is a problem between competing definitions because you have a funding agency or a funding body in a specific award with specific conditions you have publication conditions you have sort of journal publication conditions and a lot of journals require things to be registered xyz yes mm. um will that change between journals that previously did not expect clinical trial registration because look if you if you publish something that is a clinical trial it does need to be registered right yeah yeah it's in the condition of publication in a lot of places will that change for maybe even behavioral sorts of journals yeah, i don't know if there's a... any indication this yeah, is it's... this is this is complicated shit um if there's if there's one sort of horrible fringe benefit to this it will introduce early career people to the byzantan horse byzantine oh my god i'm tired byzantine horse shittery of general academic life much earlier it's it's not fun i have a much better idea of what they're in for and why they're going gray at 35 God damn. What about other objections? You got any, anything else? I mean, people obviously throwing a lot of rocks at this because you, you gave it a quick Google and good Lord. Well, Some I people think people are very unhappy. I think another legit um, uh, criticism is that it, it's going to demote exploratory research, which I think still plays a really important part in science. All right. Because how do you mean? Well, okay. Well, if you're doing um, typically when you see when, when you see a clinical trial, you're going to be actually, or when you're going to be registering a clinical trial, you want to be you want to be making some predictions about what you're going to find, and it's this idea of can we actually force basic research into this clinical trial model? And uh, quite often, this exploratory type research doesn't seem to actually fit in, and um, in quite a lot of bits of research, you're actually doing sequential research so say you're leading up to um for instance for some of the work that we were doing um we were administering oxytocin intravenously and no one's done that before ah one study has done that before but um we don't really know what sort of dose we need so before our pre-registered um part of the study we actually did an exploratory part where we gave people a bunch of different doses or we took a really good guess about what was right and we did that but that was purely exploratory so people are concerned about how these exploratory elements are going to fit in with these um, more hypothesis-driven elements of research, which I, th- I think um, I think is pretty fair. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine how I can imagine how you get concerned about that. Is is it, a lot of the time you we say well we've got a primary question, but before we answer that, we have to sort of throw a whole bunch of shit at the wall and see where the land lies, simply because no one's done that before. And sometimes those things are reduced to a a paragraph or even a line within a paper. Like oh, we we pre tested all this stuff in the complete mm. absence of a hypothesis to see what would happen, right? Yeah, yeah. So how do you register something? How do you register something with a an outcome in mind when you don't have one? Yeah, exactly. Right. I, I think the NIH has hmm, proposed, oh, we're going to make our registration forms much more flexible to, to suit. 
I, I, to be honest, I haven't registered a study there for about t- two years. So maybe it's changed a lot since I actually registered something. But they've said um, in uh, in opinion pieces that um, we're going to change how things are done. Um, it's it's going to be um, it's going to be much better. But there's there's another criticism, another wood one, which I think is a little bit weaker that people have also raised is that that due to all this red tape and all this burden, that the US is actually going to fall behind compared to other countries which don't actually have these uh, these requirements. Um, I, I don't know about that. Like it's 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 very hard to well, say because how much of a regulatory burden is this? I mean, if you did a long series of experiments and you have to come up with some bullshit at each one or what what if you if you put down your best guess and then just register the thing and then you you're next in the series of experiments when oh we found something we completely didn't expect so we're doing that now now we have an evidence-based hypothesis and we can write something firm i mean the 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 make shit up element of it is you know or you could call it a prospective hypothesis which means i have no idea what i'm doing either yeah (laughs) And you'd assume if there was any sense behind it, they would actually put put that uh, put that in there. Because sometimes you just need to have that exploratory stuff. There's there's definitely room. Science needs to have room for both hypothesis hypothesis driven research and uh, exploratory research, where you're just um, doing parameter estimation and finding out how big is this thing? Is is it even there? Is it a small thing? Is it a big thing? Rather than actually testing uh, how, testing. How it. how big is this thing, Dan? Yeah, we we don't know how, how how big is this thing. It's a it's a mystery how big this thing is. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Look, um, I I was talking before about this whole idea of uh, forking paths before we got into your uh, your 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 million path simulation, and I think by doing these registrations, like say we we're going to implement this, say there was no red tape and it was just super simple to do all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, this this overnight would uh, f- forget changing the p value to point zero zero five by actually having pre registration. If all of a sudden tomorrow we had to do this, which for a lot of researchers on the twenty fifth of January they have to, this is actually going to improve improve research because it's going to eliminate uh, not all the forking paths, but it's going to eliminate quite a lot of these forking paths because you're limited by um by what you're going to be doing. Yeah. Hmm. Um. But. I think that's this. This is this is a good thing. Um, but we and and a lot of these criticisms have said this is a bad thing. But not many of these people have actually, from from what I've seen, have actually proposed an uh, an alternative to to what we're going to be doing. Uh, sorry, an, an alternative to 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 this proposal by the NIH. Yeah, I don't know if that necessarily invalidates the criticism. Uh, uh no, 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 no. Yeah, okay, I'll pay that. I'll pay that. But. Uh, no, well, what I was leading to was that um, I, I think um, this is just this is perfect for, for registered reports. Registered reports does exactly what the NIH wants to do um, without the red tape because no one has to go to all these courses. Um, there's a lot more flexibility in how to do all this kind of stuff. There's not going to be any trouble with what, what's a clinical trial or what's not a clinical trial. It, it's all about um, has um, has your study been uh, pre being pre-registered via a registered report. Yeah. Um, can you update a registered report over time? Can you say, uh, we did this and this and this and this, and then... Um, yes. Now no, we can. want to do... Okay, so that that takes it... That, that handles the exploratory element of it. You can say, we're planning on forming hypotheses, which we will tell you about after we've done study one. We will tell you exactly how we propose study two works once we've correctly parameterized our experiment. 
No, no. Uh, sorry, I thought you were thinking about. I thought you were sort of referring to something else. Um, I think in that sense, there, there's uh, you can actually change things. So, say you were like doing something and you found we completely forgot about this potential covariate. Um, we we have added this in, or we did this analysis and we realized that we've got an enormous problem with outliers. We changed our original analysis plan. Like in that sort of sense, you can actually make those changes as long as you've got a pretty good justification for why you're doing that. But there isn't really room for, oh, we're going to try this thing and we're going to do this thing. I think the expectation is you, you, you've actually, you're going to be doing your exploratory stuff beforehand. And then once you've actually... Pardon me, once sure. you actually have... Okay. Yeah, that's, that seems perfectly fine. At the moment you have a solid hypothesis with which you wish to hang your hat upon, at that point you can do a registered report. It's just under this scheme, your exploratory research would constitute a clinical trial. That's what it seems like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, this is not straightforward. This is not straightforward. There there is a number of... um, uh, The NIH now has given a number of examples. Um, I'm not sure. Hopefully I can find them and link to them in the show notes. But they've given a number of examples of heaps of different types of research and whether that constitutes a clinical trial or not. Um, under their um, under their new definitions, so oh, okay, uh, and e- even that is causing some confusion, and um, it's just it's just really hard because research, we, as as we both know, research is incredibly unique, um, and no, no matter how many examples they give, your research is always going to be different. Are people actually going to be changing the way they do research in order to actually fall out of this, so they don't have to do this kind of stuff? Is it going to be all these tilt? James, this is going to be the renaissance of tilt table testing. Oh, goody. <laughs> I, I wonder when it, when it comes to when it comes to something like this. This this is a, a fairly fairly substantial change for some people. I often wonder if it's really possible to know what will happen until you actually enact the practice do you know what i mean yeah i do i do wonder whether or not you think of these these proposals about how what what will happen we're having prospective arguments uh, i mean you don't want to waste everyone's time by making everyone change normative practice in any place that you work but to change things you have to like the, the the debate about lower the p-value versus pre-register your outcomes and stop being such a precious bastard about it versus justify your alpha, etc., etc. I do wonder if they will shake out in ways that are unknowable because we're not quite sure how they will filter through into practice yet. I mean, when it involves billions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of people's work, the suck it and see approach is not generally recommended. Let's just roll the dice. Yeah, let's just roll the dice on all this (laughs) research bullshit and see what happens. Go and have a lash, son. Um, (laughs) I, I, I wonder if you're just kind of there by default to some degree. Yeah. I don't know. That's a that's only a partially formed thought. I wonder if there's good examples of 
ideas like this that people th- thought were reasonable at the time that went badly or well for reasons completely outside of their original discussion. I you reckon know? things that fa- would... com- people completely failed to anticipate. I reckon there would be smaller countries that have done something similar, um, which we could look to for, for case study. I don't know of any, but maybe there are, there's some countries that have actually tried this and it's either gone really well or, or, or it's completely failed. <sighs> well, if you didn't think research was uh, onerous, terrifying, usually frustrating, occasionally enlightening, but basically an enormous pain in the hole previous to this conversation, we've probably managed to uh, tip you over into (laughs) full-blown existential despair. Because, I mean, what everyone really wants, Dan, in their heart of hearts, when they do research, what they really genuinely feel like they need is more forms. Lots and lots of them. Form, form fetish. Yeah. Oh dear God. Now you've now you've said that there's someone out there in former East Germany, <laughs> dusting off his webcam, getting papers out of a filing cabinet, hoisting up his leather thong. <laughs> Thanks, Rule Thirty Four. Thanks, Internet. The form fetishists are now well, a thing. With, Marching um, in poorly clad hordes into the Eastern <laughs> European steppes. Uh, I'm quite tired today, Dan. Yeah, well, n- now that we've hit um, unusual fetishes, I, th- I think that is a good signal. <laughs> we, all, we always eventually hit... What, what's that rule that all, all internet discussions always d- devolve into someone getting accused of being a Nazi? What's that called again? Uh, Godwin's law. Godwin's law. Well, this is this is the Hertz law. That as soon as we start discussing fetishes, then um, it's time to <laughs> it's time to wrap things up. But every, uh, every sensible and sobered scientific discussion will eventually <laughs> the, the, the sorry the the prob the probability of the mentioning of a weird internet fetish approaches one. It approaches one, and we, and we've reached it. So we we're going to wrap up for today. Thank you for listening. Uh, this is the this is the first episode of, of 2018. We're looking forward yes. to bringing you many more episodes this year. We, Make we sure are, you. But but Daniel Daniel yeah, Daniel, yeah, we did not yeah. do a we did not do a break today because we're both short on time and we do, we don't have enough time for me to stomp around the corridor blowing air out of my nose like a dragon with an aneurysm and trying to calm myself down. Because I've done a stellar job of not getting pissed off about anything. So why don't you be nice to people the way you normally would at about 25 minutes in? Yeah, well, I'm going to be nice to the people that have been giving um, giving shout-outs. Quite, quite often, um, people are, are asking, do you know any good podcasts, any good science podcasts? And a lot of our listeners um, chime in and mention um, the old Everything Hurts. So we'd, we'd love that because you are opening up. Um, got, we've got a lot of new listeners recently, and I think a lot of it has come from people actually recommending the podcast which is um which is great we had a we had a, a recent comment um to this sort of thing going um uh for uh, that um commenting oh, it, it took me a few episodes to love but the discussion is very real there it is real qu- yeah it's it's it's, it's real as opposed is, um, to an unreal discussion yeah I, I don't know i don't know but uh it, it was it was positive nonetheless and a lot of people um going maybe, through the maybe back- maybe they mean honest 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah, just just un, un, unvarnished. Which oh, is, so that's um, like the American thing, like be real, man. It's yeah, the, the vernacular, yeah, exactly. The vernacular real. Okay, that's actually a very yeah. nice compliment. Thank you to whoever said that. Uh, thanks, thanks. Took just, me a second, but I got there. We we got there. Um, we have we have some more people going through going through the back catalogue. Um, all fifty four episodes at this. I uh, am so impressed with anyone who has the patience to do that. I oh, mean, it's incredible. I, 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 I don't can't even... do 54 episodes. It's these things that I like. There's people that I really, <laughs> really like in media. And if someone said they have 54 hours, more or less, of recorded media, and you listen to it from start to finish, I am, I'm, I, I take my hat off to you. They'll, they'll, be, I, they'll be hearing your voice in their dreams, James. That's not a good that's, thing. That's scary. So that that's... um. Uh, Earn from from um, it's a it's got the uh, the Swedish O, so I'm assuming you're Swedish. Awesome. Thank you, Earn. A lot of lot of Scandinavian listens, which I love. A lot of people from from my part of the world. Um, I, I assume is... that you're just roping them in because you found them in your backyard or something. I, I I just I just put the Hertz podcast on uh, on speakers in the uh, in, in the backyard. <laughs> nice, yeah. For, for and some... Everyone and everyone walks through the snow to uh, to attend your screenings. Yeah, wouldn't that wouldn't that be fun? That 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 would be that would uh, be amazing. Why but, don't you um, tell the nice people as well when you're finished yeah. being positive? All the great plans we have, partially formed and extremely prospective, for all the stuff that's going to happen this year. I don't know what you're referring to, James. Uh, haven't we, what, what plans? <laughs> Which ones? Perfect. What plans? <laughs> we, we, got, we got plans. We, we got plans for episodes, but uh, no, I, I, I don't, don't know. know. I'm fucking with you. Yeah, so I was, was going to say. You, I wanted you to stutter in raw confusion. I, I was I was a bit confused, but we're, we're teeing up some... We like to mix it up a, a bit by just having discussions which are just me and james but also bringing in some guests so we are we are teeing up some guests if you've got any suggestions um let us know if you've got any questions as well a few people contacting us um over twitter with questions um particularly in in, oh, in relation yeah. we've had a couple of those haven't we yeah and one yeah. in relation to uh i think it was around episode 30 something where we were talking about authorship and someone um was, was had a question about um authorship order and supervisors which is um uh, you know something that a lot of people a lot of people go through but um yeah thanks for, yeah. thanks for your recommendations and you can contact us at hertz podcast on twitter um you can also speak to us on our facebook account which is uh just search hertz podcast um but uh, yeah send us ideas send us um send us ideas as well for episodes and for guests um and uh yeah we, we love it when you contact us it's great Yes, we do. Can I can I say a final thing to the nice people to bring in the new year? Go for it. As this podcast draws to a close and your ears are welding shut as the skin rebels at the sound of our grating voices, you can be assured that you are enjoying the finest niche Australian-American-Norwegian science podcast that exists as we hurtle through a pitiless universe towards a dying sun was that good that was great oh <laughs> i hope you'd like it i loved it thanks for listening everyone we'll be back soon with more everything hurts toodles bye-bye <laughs>